episode 11 of right we're sitting now and it actually is episode 11 this time and they in the last episode we uh got my name wrong yeah <laughs> me and raymond uh, ba- uh, there's a long story behind it but basically there's a missing episode of, of right we're sitting now which will be well i guess we'll play in a few weeks time but it's a good one it's me and raymond well, talking about conspiracy theories what you could have done was edited the episode and then nobody would know <laughs> only the people that listen to it in its early stage yeah I know, I should have done that. Never mind, you're at the cut of the bag now. Yep. <laughs> right, so Jacob's back with us. How are you? How have we been away yeah, from Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks, Ken. Are you? Yeah, yeah, we've had a it, few weeks off. It's been, it's been a good few weeks, hasn't it? Mm, yeah, it's been good. I've, I've got an iPhone, finally. <laughs> have, have, you had a, yeah, have you had a good summer holidays? Yeah, yeah, no, it's been uh, good fun and uh, lots of busy stuff to do with the website. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's all good. I think um, we've got a lot of good shows coming up. And we're going to be back on track on a weekly basis now. So uh, as of now, expect us every week again. We just needed a bit of a break because we had some technical issues this end and some other things. But um, but yeah, no. So what have you been up to, Jacob? Well, you know the usual. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Very little. I was. Uh, I was. Uh, we were talking about um, the show uh, sitting now and the forum and. Uh, it's not, well, it's not really what I've been doing, but uh, I was just going to like to say that I'm pleased to see that there's a few members on the forum. Yeah, no, it's um, good. Yeah, we, we, you know, people are listening to our calls. <laughs> so but back good. to what, what I've been doing. I've not been doing anything, really. Uh, I've not been on sitting now. It's nice to be back. Mm. Uh, yeah, it must have been about a month I was last on sitting now. Yeah, mm. it was but, the, yeah. which episode it's, was it? Dean Hagland episode, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Dean Hagland, yeah. Yeah, so... The man who likes to chop vegetables, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> likes to chop vegetables in the background. If people on the forums um, may know what we're talking about. But yeah, so come on the forums. Yeah, and if, if you don't know what we're talking about, join the forums, uh, sittingnow.co.uk forward slash forums. Is that right? I think so, yeah, or forum, maybe. If not, you can just go forum. to the, go to yeah, the front forum. page and there's a link at the top as well. So, uh, But yeah, we've got a bit of sad news today. Um, Anja, who's the wife of the guy that does the website for us james burton um passed away today and that's really sad news and we everyone at sitting now wants to send their condolences to james he's a really really good guy you're gonna hear an advert from us uh for him which we've recorded <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's, he's he's a he's, he's a good man he's a good man it's really sad news it's really sad news and he's put a really good um 
He's got a great blog himself called erraticsouls.com. And you Very can, nice layout. Yeah, really nice layout. And you can see he's done a nice, you know, some nice posts about what he had to go through, you know, with his wife and everything. And it's, I think everyone should go and have a look. And if you need any help with WordPress, he's great. Absolutely great. He knows it back to front. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Mm. So, uh, he's if, a rare breed. He is a rare breed. But, um, yeah, no, so we'd just all like to say, uh, you know, we're sorry to hear that, James. And hopefully you'll... Uh, know get everything back together eventually and you know it's never never nice losing a loved one basically so no, uh, no so uh, yeah best wishes from us but yeah today we're going to be talking to someone about vampires of all things Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh jacob what do you think of vampires well <clears throat> i always thought of vampires and still do as being mythological mm-hmm. uh something of folklore so if anybody talks them talks of them in a in a matter of fact way then i would always i would be uh, skeptical wouldn't you <laughs> yeah yeah but our, our guest today is uh dr bob curan he's um he's a historian and he's written a few books actually but he recently wrote a book about vampires and uh i don't know vampires are always something whenever i watch horror films especially i always find them really interesting they're kind of uh but they're not frightening, are they? They're not really frightening as such. Well, maybe some of the more modern ones are. But yeah, the ones <laughs> I'm used to, like the Hammer Horror vampires and the sort of Hollywood vampires. Don't talk about your DVD collection, Ken. Yeah, I'm just looking it's over it <laughs> You don't want to see some of the stuff in there. Anyway, but yeah, I mean... It'll pop your eyes out. <laughs> I think this is one of the things I've kind of wanted to look at when sitting now, um, which is kind of mythological kind of stuff. I think we're going to... Actually, coming up as well, we're also going to have an interview with someone... I don't want to name him yet, just in case we don't get him. But about cryptozoology as well, which is you know big. Yeah. Oh, and on, on that note, uh, in a few weeks' time is the um, weird weekend. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, we're going to be there, um, recording interviews with people. Um. You know, for the speakers there, the weird weekend is put on by the Centre of Fortean Zoology, and it's in England, in the uh, West Country, I believe, like Devon, Cornwall yeah. way. And uh, they're the. Yeah, they put on this event once a year and have speakers and it's not just cryptozoology i've noticed there's, there's uh, yeah there's a lot of um UFO. It, it's branched out it's branched out a lot yeah but it's uh it's connected to the 14 times which is one of my favorite magazines ever and uh yeah so it, i reckon it's gonna be really good i'm looking forward to going to it actually it should be fun but we're gonna be covering it and hopefully talking to the guy that organizes it as well um beforehand so expect that in the next couple of weeks yeah um, mid mid to end of august isn't it 15th to 17th oh sorry mid yeah yeah so it's mid august but yeah i suppose we should uh stop waffling on and get on to the interview with bob curran so we'll see you on the other side Hi, Dr. Bob Curran. Thanks a lot for uh, coming along and doing the interview with us. Um, I was wondering if you could start off by doing a, a brief introduction of yourself, please. Well, uh, Bob Curran, uh, I'm, as my accent will tell you, I'm prob- uh, probably tell you I'm from Northern Ireland. I am living about seven miles from the celebrated Giant's Causeway in the north of Ireland. <laughs> and uh, in my checkered life, I have traveled a bit around the world and have done a bit of research on spooky things, on mysterious things, and on mythical things. So um, some of these have finished up in books, and I gather that's what we're going to talk about today, Uh, at least one of them. 
Yep, and I think we're going to have you back on in a few weeks' time as well to talk about We are bit. indeed. We are, <laughs> so I'm told, anyway. Yep, that's really good. So bit. turn up like a bad penny. I think, so let, uh, is that okay? Yeah, that's all good for me. Um, I think today we want to talk to you about vampires. Okay, let's go and talk about vampires. You've actually written a book called uh, Field Guide to Vampires. I have. I've got. I have a book called Vampires: The Field Guide, uh, the a Field Guide to the Creatures That Stalk the Night. That's the one. Uh, so uh, this looks at a number of vampires across the world because, uh, as we'll hear, vampires don't only live in Transylvania. No, no. So what got you into the into the subject of vampires? Well, can I reveal to you um, a very personal story? Yes, good uh, When I was about 13, I went, uh, or I had a very bad case of ringworm in my left hand. Mm. And my grandmother, who I live, I come from a very remote area in Northern Ireland, uh, up in the Moorn Mountains. My grandmother took me to an old lady who had a cure for this. Now, how she had got the cure was very strange. Uh, Her mother had died giving birth to her. And each night her mother returned from the grave in order to suckle her and had passed on the cure to her. And uh, incidentally, the cure worked. So uh, that got me sort of interested in the notion of the returning dead. Hmm. Because... uh, there were beliefs that the dead walked the roads and stuff, uh, and there was a fort or great earthworks at the back of my grandmother's house where uh, the dead were supposed to congregate of a night. And I suppose, uh, leading on from that, an interest in vampires. In fact, the first uh, book ever I bought when I was 12 years old was an old Arrow um, edition of Dracula, ah. which I kept hidden because my grandmother was quite religious <laughs> and didn't like uh, the idea of a vampire story lying in the house, so I kept it hidden in the drawer. But uh, ever since that, I became interested. And then I traveled about a bit, and I began to hear about other uh, other vampires besides Dracula and besides those in Eastern Europe. So we'll talk about those in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, you, you were talking. Sorry, you were just talking about uh, when, as you were a child, did, when you were when you were a child, did you believe then that the dead would the the dead could return? Well. Uh, this was a thing which was uh, never openly stated but, uh, in, in the area which I was brought up with, which was believed in. For instance, there was an old saying in our country which said that a man who dies owing money or a woman who dies in childbirth will never rest easy in the grave. And it was told, it was believed that people could uh, come back again for various reasons, um, to warn people, to uh, admonish people, or or, um, give advice, or to complete, in many cases, to complete um, tasks which they hadn't managed to complete in life. My grandmother used to tell me that she knew a woman. Now, this was always how she always began. She knew a woman um, who had returned from the grave in order to complete a wedding dress. The woman was a seamstress mm-hmm. and had uh, agreed to do a wedding dress and had been paid for it and had died and had returned from the grave each night physically uh, in order to sew up the wedding dress and have it completed for the wedding. 
So uh, there were stories like that, and I had no reason to doubt uh, them up behind where we lived, up and into the earthworks, there was a ruined cottage in which it was supposed that a, that a vampire actually lived, and uh, there was a man who cut himself, uh, cutting with a bill hook or a massive scythe, cutting grass around there, and um, they said that the vampire had caused that in order that his blood would seep into the ground and the vampire would get it. Uh, and as a small child, you began to believe these things. So I suppose it has left a, a sort of indelible mark on me. And who am I to say that it wasn't true? Mm. So if if you believe that the, the, they can come back from the dead, it's not necessarily for a bad reason. It's just a, it could be that they're coming to finish something that they didn't do whilst they were alive. Not necessarily. Uh, I mean, uh, I went down in 1993. Mary, my wife, and myself went down to interview an old gentleman down in, in County Fermanagh on uh, the Northern Ireland border. And he used to tell a story about... Uh, he was a very respectable old man. Uh, he was a member. He was uh, very prominent in the church and was greatly respected in the area around about. And he uh, sat and told me a story about his grandfather coming back from the grave um, on Halloween night, um, and a place was set for him by the fire. And his grandfather would come in uh, on Halloween night and sit down and have a pipe and have a glass of whiskey and uh, sometimes have uh, a cake or a, or a piece of bread, which would be left for him, a bit like we would leave for Santa Claus. And uh, he, he said that he remembered his grandfather coming back. W- w- on. Was that within your lifetime? Uh, George would have been in his 80s. Now, this uh, I'm, uh, in my own lifetime, uh, I do remember an old woman who lived down the road from us uh, who scattered uh, the ashes, uh, the, the fine dust at the bottom of the fire, on her hearthstone before she went to bed and set up chairs around it. And then if the dust was disturbed in the morning, uh, she would know that the dead had been there, her dead ancestors had been there and had been and had danced on the hearthstone. Or it had been uh, windy. So, or it could have been windy. Uh, it could have been, or it could have been <laughs> something else. And uh, I remember um, my great-grandmother, whom I vaguely remember, actually setting an extra um, uh, place at the table uh, 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 at the meal on Halloween night uh, in case somebody would come back from the dead and sit down and want fed. Yeah. So it's, well, uh, it's deeply ingrained in the culture there. Then it, it was a very, it was a cultural thing. You see, it's a very Celtic thing. Mm. Uh, for us, our involvement in the world uh, ends with death. For the Celts, the ancient Celts, this was not necessarily so, because they could come back. And it was said um, that the church had actually taught that that uh, God could allow them to come back for a special purpose or at certain nights of the year. But these were only what was called the blessed dead, Hmm. those who were not coming back for any ghastly purpose in order to take revenge or something like that. So, uh, and and uh, if you could see me, you would know um, uh, that uh, that was not yesterday. The the grey in my beard would tell you that. (laughs) So... um, the uh, we're talking about the f- late 40s, early 50s. 
So uh, that was a common cultural belief around that time in certain parts of Ireland. Hmm. Going going back, uh, well, I don't know how far back, but I've heard that you, uh, in your life, you have been a grave digger. I have, I yeah, have, yeah. I, I was just wondering, uh, being a grave digger, was... Did that spur on your vampire interest, or is your vampire uh, uh, interest... Uh, no, it's interesting you should say that, because, yes, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know whether I should tell you all this, but... Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can. <laughs> oh, well, we, we will do it anyway. Um, as I worked as a grave digger, uh, we did what, uh, a thing which is known in Ireland. I don't know whether you have uh, where you are. Um... Uh, called Breaking Graves. Now, Breaking Graves uh, consists of um, uh, you're working in the mountain parishes uh, where perhaps burial space is at a premium. And um, you went, um, when there was a fresh burial, you went actually to look at the allotment book. And if there was a grave which was unmarked, and which had contained no record of burial for over a hundred years, you were entitled to open that and use it for fresh burials. And that's what I did. I dug up graves which had been used, uh, cleared them out, and uh, left them open for fresh burials. Uh, and you dug up all sorts of things. This guy who worked with me made a fortune, actually, and uh, used wedding rings, yeah. <laughs> uh, which he cleaned up with Coca-Cola. Um, but um, I remember digging up, you find bits and pieces of coffins, and I remember uh, digging up a coffin lid once, and uh, it had been lined on the inside. Now, the lining on the inside had been, had been torn away, and the mm. marks of the fingers were still fingernails. in. The fingernails were still in, uh, in the wood. Whoever had been there had been buried alive. Ooh, and uh, that I uh, certainly in from, in earlier times was not uncommon in some of the rural parishes because people were almost cataleptic or took fits or or um, episodes and were counted as dead. You'll you'll never know why that person was buried alive, but why? At the time, what what we what did you think the reasons might have been for that person to be buried well, alive? Well, as I was saying, there, there were fits and uh, sort of uh, uh, episodes which which they took and some of them were suffered from a disease which was known as catalepsy which um, went, they went into the sort of coma and I, uh, somebody told me it was I'm not a physician somebody told me it was a genetic thing and you were perhaps predisposed to this and you're, you went into almost like a, a trance and your pulse rate slowed mm. um and, I, think, um, I think Edgar Allan Poe wrote a story similar to this. He it? did indeed. And remember as well that in the old days, uh, in the 1940s, uh, 50s in Ireland, when the roads were bad, some of the, the doctors wouldn't come out. And, and this was in time before, uh, uh, literally, we were growing up before the national health. Hmm. And you had to pay the doctor for coming out. And yeah. some of the doctors would not come out to various locations. I, I imagine that uh, bodies were buried far more quickly than, uh, than they might they have been were. these days. They were. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in some areas, that was the purpose of what was known as the wake. Wake? I, the, you know, uh, I was thinking that myself. Yeah, that was the purpose of the wake, to make sure that the person was dead and, the, dead, and, and yeah. that they didn't revive mm. later on. 
you know, and which it was left for two or three, uh, maybe a day or a day and a half, and mm-hmm. people gathered around and kept coming and going. So uh, this was probably, uh, and I do know that in certain, uh, because I've actually been down to a number of, of large houses, in which uh, they had graves with a bell attached. Yeah, so that if you wakened up, you pulled the rope and the bell rang, so that you weren't buried alive. Hence the expression "saved by the bell." Ah, and the right. and the and the graveyard shift where the and the graveyard that, shift indeed. Mm. Yeah, the people quite, that listen to the bell were quite true. I think yeah, they do. Mo- there's a modern equivalent of that. I think now some like quite wealthy businessmen install a mobile phone in their um. Yeah, I, I apparently uh, you apparently can, but and uh, and graveyards certainly, and I've been in graveyards recently where there's the ruins of what were what were called the watch houses. Mm. That was to dissuade grave robbers and to keep an eye out for disturbances in the grave. Yeah, there was a period in history where grave robberies were. The grave uh, robberies, right. I, I think, also. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in London, you had professional gangs. You yeah. had uh, Ben Crouch. You had uh, Israel Chapman, and uh, you had in Edinburgh, you had uh, people like Burke and Hare. Yeah. And and, and people uh, Gene Waldy, people like that. Yeah. Anyway, then uh... of course, then of course, you had the phenomenon as well as the ha- of the half hanged. Because there were a number of people who, uh, this was before uh, I remember reading Pierpoint. Uh, he, uh, the last hangman, he went around, checked um, the weight of, uh, of the person and the build of the person so that the, whenever the trap opened beneath them, the neck would break. That wasn't always the case, and some people were almost strangled. Uh, yeah, whenever they were being hanged, and they could be revived in some instances. There was a many, very there many of them. W- sorry, sorry, many many of them suffered broken uh, ankles because the rope was the, too long. They landed on the, uh, the the hangman tried to grab their ankles. Now, if a hangman did that there, he could be charged with murder. But right. uh, there was a famous case in uh, roughly about eighteen twenty in the grass market in Edinburgh, in which Margaret Dixon was hanged Hmm. and cut down and placed on a cart uh, to be taken to the mortuary. And uh, uh, all through the cobbles of Edinburgh, they they went. And uh, halfway along, the hangman and uh, his assistant decided that they would get off and have a bit of a drink. So they went into the uh, public house, and while they were there, the jiggling about on the cobbles had revived Margaret Dixon, and she got up and got off the cart, much to the amazement and, uh, and terror of the people around about. Yes, and uh, much to <coughs> the great embarrassment of her husband, who had been um, a former uh, army man, and uh, who had declared himself uh, as a widower in order to get an army pension. Hmm. And he had to remarry her. <laughs> And it, it it became a great it became a very body song at one point. What, what happened to her? Was it similar to witchcraft, where if you didn't die, you were let free, or what? Uh, the, uh, well, you see, uh, if the rope broke or if you didn't die, it was counted as an act of God. Right. Yeah, um, I in some cases, there was. Uh, I think in your part of the world, there was a guy called Half Hanged Harding, mm. who was who was hanged and revived, but was kept in jail and he was taken to Newgate. Yeah. And yeah. he uh, he became a celebrity and entertained uh visitors in his cell <laughs> who came to see him. Yeah. Well, because, because he was considered a phenomenon. 
Hmm. Uh, and he seemed to be. And in some cases, the half hang because um, oxygen had been cut off from the brain, uh, were considered to be simple or um, uh, considered to be, uh, um, you know, mentally deficient. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, some hangings. Uh, I think the purpose of the hanging is to break the neck, isn't it? Where, where, is, you, would, it is. where you would die then, instantly. Uh, that's why Pierpoint, somebody like Alfred Pierpoint, went oh, in yeah. and interviewed the the, the people. Yeah. So I can imagine the people, uh, you were saying about the woman that uh, came back to life on the back of the car, I can imagine people there thought they had a, a real walking dead. <laughs> they, they really had. They, they thought they had a, a walking dead. Yeah, the, the, there was another famous one in um, uh, St. James Cripplegate, um, Constance Whitney. Ah, yeah. uh, Constance Whitney was a very wealthy lady who died. And apparently, there, uh, I haven't actually seen it, but apparently there is a scroll or a plaque which um, commemorates Constance Whitney in St. Giles. And uh, she was uh, in her coffin and laid out and in all her finery. And Saxton took a great notion of a ring which she was wearing. And whenever the mourners had me unscrewed the and took a knife and tried to prise the ring from her finger. And uh, as he did so, he allowed, a drop of blood came out. And the lady fluttered her eyes and sat up. And the sexton ran for his life and was later arrested. But uh, Constance Whitney lived for something like 20 or 30 years thereafter and um, continued in life. So all these contributed, uh, the half-hanged, uh, the cataleptics, all these sort of things began to contribute towards the idea of the vampire which came back or, or the walking dead who, who would rise up, mm. uh, together with the old folk tales about uh, the dead coming back. Well, one thing... He was... Oh, go on. Oh. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, uh, you were saying earlier about, uh, as a child, you you believed, uh, well, you were told and you had no reason to, to suspect that they couldn't come back from the dead. Um, do you believe, or did you believe, that they came back as a spirit, or do you believe that they came back as uh, flesh and bones? You're getting into the old um, question which exercised the medieval minds, whether it was spiritus or corpus. Um the sort of wailing um, banshee or phantom or the thing that drifts through walls as a ghost is a much later development, although there were spirits um, about in medieval and actually in Roman times. But uh, in many cases, the people um, who came back from the grave came back as a physical entity and walked, uh, walked about, and some of them came back, as I say, for various reasons. It was thought that God allowed them to come back and enjoy earthly pleasures, which they had done when uh, they were alive. For example, as I told you, that George told me that his, father, his grandfather came back and smoked a pipe, um, had a glass of whiskey, and, uh, and maybe had a bite to eat. And he said he, he needed that after being, uh, his, father, his grandfather had been dead for a year. And he said his grandfather needed that after being a year in the cold clay. Um, uh, so uh, in some cases, uh, corpses came back and enjoyed their conjugal rights with their former partners. <laughs> um, 
And in order to do that, they had to be in a physical state. Um, and so, um, in reply to your question, uh, the so, uh, in some stories they appeared as sort of drifting uh, protoplasmic uh, sort of entities who uh, sort of uh, drifted across the fields. Or yeah. in some cases, they came back as actual people whom whom were recognisable or who could enjoy physical cooks or uh, could eat uh, and drink and smoke a pipe the same as everybody else. Hmm. If, if the vampires, as they are known, um, uh, come back as flesh and bones, uh, if they are dead, well, I would assume they would obviously be dead. How are your what do you feel with regard to life after death if if they come back as flesh and bones do, do you deem that they have died and they've come back or do you that was always the great question as I said right. which exercised the medieval mind uh, whether or not um, it was the actual person indeed or whether it was the husk hmm. of a dead person which had uh, been occupied by a demon or some sort of other malignant spirit. You see, there was also a belief, um, and I remember this because there was a, a, a field uh, quite uh, near to us, um, which uh, uh, my mother and grandmother told me specifically not to cross after 6 p.m. because it was used for the burial of uh, unbaptized children. Now, these were children who had been stillborn and who had not been baptized by the church or anything like that. Uh, uh, or uh, in some cases, um, there it was also used for the burial of suicides who uh, were abhorred by the church. Now it was said that their spirits were continually looking for a way back into the world, and that they could occupy um, the corpses of dead people, um, which uh, had them wandering about the roads at night or an excessively bad person who had died without the benefit of, of clergy um, would, uh, would wander about, uh, denied both heaven and hell, so they would w look for a way back into the world. For instance, an incredibly scolding woman. And there, was a, uh, uh, there was a great belief that women who scolded a great deal or who gave off a great deal uh, would uh, finish up like this. Uh, so instead of sinking its teeth in, uh, into your neck, the vampire could come and give you a scolding or a lecture at night. So, the, so they, they could serve a purpose. Oh, sorry. It would, in, in essence, they might be serving a purpose. It might be. It might be. Hmm. But um, the uh, uh, there was always a great um, debate as to whether. Uh, this was actually the soul of the dead person or not. It, mm. it might very well be. For instance, if the person had been very, very bad in their lifetime or, had been, as I say, had been buried without the benefit of clergy, um, that could be uh, a factor as well. So um, they would return for a purpose or they would return because they were denied uh, entry into either heaven or hell. They were not uh, good enough to be admitted to hell and to heaven, or bad enough to be admitted to hell. Hmm. Interesting. So there might be Draculas. 
Some of them might be some sort of vampire. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they might have been um, doing some ghastly thing, uh, you know, uh, robbing their uh, mates, coveting their neighbours' wives, things like that, and that would be enough to bring them back as the vampires. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to ask you one last question before we go for a quick break. But um, and, okay. And I think what we we'll do is after the break, we'll go into some more of the specific uh, types okay. of vampires that you researched in your book. But one thing, where where does our stereotype come from? Oh, well, you know, we have the stereotype of the cloaked figure from Transylvania. I mean, obviously. Uh, well, d- yeah, uh, 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 it's what you were saying. Uh, it's from Dracula. Uh, I think part of it comes from Dracula. Hmm. Now, that had actually nothing to do with the living dead. Hmm. That was re- Dracula, as you know, was written by a gentleman called Bram Stoker, yep. who was Irish. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at Dracula and read it as an Irish novel, mm-hmm. you will see that it gives all the difficulties which were faced uh, in uh, early uh, 19th century Ireland. Dracula was written at the end of the 1800s in 19th century Ireland, and so uh, including the problem of the aristocracy. Now, the other great figure which appears in, uh, at this time um, when socialism is beginning to arise is Jack the Ripper. Mm. Now, if you think of Jack the Ripper, you always think of him as the cloaked figure in the top hat. Yeah which is about the aristocracy rather than the actual figure itself. And it's about people's perceptions of what Dracula looks like. He's, he's a, a, a member of the nobility. He's a count. Uh, he's, uh, there was also problems uh, of foreigners, so he's from Eastern Europe. Uh, and there's problems of nationalism and o- ownership of the land. So he has to sleep in his own soil. Remember that whenever the Demeter was wrecked in Whitby, mm-hmm. uh, it was carrying boxes of earth, yeah. which was, uh, and uh, if you begin to read into that, you'll begin uh, to read about the land problems in Ireland at the, uh, during the 1800s. Ah. So that's where the figure comes from. But uh, uh, the, uh, if you go to Eastern Europe, uh, the um, the vampires are usually peasants. Ah, well, that's interesting. You, if you noticed earlier, I I, um, I referred to uh, a vampire as Dracula, in, uh, perhaps interchangeably. Uh, 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 but yeah. uh, that's actually right. That that's the only that's the only uh, that's the stereotype, stereotype which you have in the back of your mind. The man uh, in the cape. Uh, or, or the arist- or the languid arist- aristocrat. You think that's solely as a result of, uh, of well, uh, counter- counter- uh, counter- uh, that has become, a, a, I suspect, a cultural thing mm. that we have picked up on Dracula. And uh, if you look at some of uh, of the Anne Rice novels, I, I haven't read all that many of them, but uh, I've read one or two, and they're all about languid arist- aristocrats mm. living in places like New Orleans and something. Uh, somewhere like that, and uh, I think that's where uh, that's actually the root of the stereotype. Yeah. Well, why why do you think the uh, the stereotype of uh, Dracula continues? I mean, we we there are, there are many more films and and uh, books and descriptions of vampires since uh, Dracula. Oh, perhaps perhaps the question should be what what future do you think there is for uh, the stereotype of a Dracula? Do you think well, it would change? 
I think it's uh, already changing uh, to some extent. I mean, uh, uh, you have now sort of high school uh, vampires. Now, it's a program I have never watched, but uh, I gathered that within the last few years, Buffy the Vampire Slayer has uh, received the grant and, and has moved that on. Uh, one of the things which is, is very noticeable is that Dracula, <laughs> as, as a novel, has never been out of print. Hmm. And uh, perhaps there's something which deals with the dark, with the gothic, with um, uh, that sort of era uh, in, in the back of our minds. But I think it's now began, and I watched, uh, I watched part of a film the other night, which was... John Carpenter's Vampires, ah, which right, yeah. uh, had, uh, had them fighting vampires in uh, southern Texas or uh, southwest Mexico. Uh, and uh, I've seen other things which have sent them as black vampires uh, in Los Angeles. And, of course, you have Blade the Series, yeah. um, which is all about all sorts of models. So we're beginning to move slightly away from that. But, uh, but I think part of our mind still returns to the old stereotype because it still addresses some of the great issues. I mean, the issues of wealth, the issues of status, the issues of this, that, and the other thing. Do you, do you do you hold Bram Stoker in high regard? Oh yeah. Well, I have to because yeah. he's Irish. <laughs> uh, Excellent. <laughs> I mean, you look at um, the two great vampire story, uh, two great vampire writers uh, of uh, who have produced um, great vampire literature. One is Bram Stoker, who actually, and I think Dracula is a marvelous book. Hmm. Uh, the other is Sheridan Le Fanu, who produced Carmilla. Yeah, which was actually the first, of, uh, which has been portrayed in, in a number of films. Yeah, Hamahora did Vampire Lovers and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Hamahora did a load of films about them. But they did, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Those uh, the Vampire Lovers with Peter Cushing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, uh, uh, there seems uh, there seems to be uh, something in the Irish psyche, maybe. And as you know, and we'll talk maybe talk about this slightly later. The oldest written vampire story that I have been able to unearth comes from Ireland, not from Eastern Europe. Oh. Uh, Bram Stoker said it in Eastern Europe because at that time, Eastern Europe was like Tibet in the 1950s. It was a place of mystery. It was a place of, of mystical uh, connotations. Hmm. Uh, and it was a place where Stoker had never been. He, uh, he relied on Dr. Arminius Vambray to give him uh, tidbits about, uh, particularly about Vlad Dracul, who mm. was Vlad the Impaler, Vlad II of Wallachia. Famous for impaling uh, his victims. Uh, famous for impaling his victims, indeed. But in all, there are no accounts of Vlad himself ever drinking blood. No. I mean, he, he was cruel. He impaled his victims, as you say. Uh, the old Irish stories concerning uh, Awartach, um, whose grave actually lies about 11 miles from where I'm talking to you now, um, which was written um, uh, up uh, by Dr. Geoffrey Keating in the 17th century, um, around about the 1620s. Uh, um, he actually did drink blood 
or is recorded as drinking blood. Hmm. Now, he didn't drink it from the necks of his victims. They presented him with a bowl. Uh, he was a warlord. And they presented him with a bowl um, of blood hmm. taken from uh, the crook of their arm, hmm. where uh, if you go to get a blood sample taken, the nurse would take it from you. Yeah. Because if you bite them, uh, if the vampire bites them in the neck and cuts through the jugular vein, there's going to be blood everywhere. The, there's a ma- mess. There's a total yeah. mess of blood, and the victim dies almost instantly. Mm. Um, it looks very well on the big screen, and it has all sorts of what I would call erotic uh, connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kind and, of exposed uh, neck and breast that you see, I guess, on the Hollywood film. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you look at the classic vampire uh, things, and, and, and the woman with the heaving bosom, and the white neck, and the vampire coming. Oh, that has all sorts of, uh, mm. of erotic connotations, and it looks well on the screen. And it's easy. Uh, it's easy to film. Um, uh, it doesn't look so well if uh, the vampire is trying to drink it from the crook of her arm. No. Uh, so, uh, uh, which is where the, uh, the I mean, or from uh, in the case of the vampire bat, which comes from South America, from the soles of her feet. Hmm. Yeah. Some people might find that erotic, but I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but. Uh, that is where the, the stereotypes come from. Well, we're going to go through a quick break now. Um, okay. And uh, we're going to play some music by a band called The Sontaran Experiment and play a few podcast uh, promo- promos now. So um, we'll get back to Bob Kieran after that. Excuse me, I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? That's about 9 pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy, let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace with thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at podcastpickle.com. <laughs> Geek Foo Action Grip. Beachcast. Comic Geek Speak. Speechless. Mad Kane. This Week in Tech. Warren Town Talk. NASCAR Zone. Shelly the Republican. A voice from Eden. Jimmy McBean. Five Minutes with Wichita. Cinema Playground. Offbeat. The Logo Factory. The Exit 50. This and That with Jeff and Pat. Thoughts on Psychiatry. Web Hosting Show. Merlin from Berlin. Random Cast. Jazz with Tiger. American Road Trip Show. The Drew M Podcast. The Slam Idol Podcast. Forgotten Tales. The Zencast. XboxStation.net. How to Do Stuff. <laughs> Now, Pickle has a whole new meaning. PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory.
feedback. Really looking forward to the new episodes. So keep up with your work, guys. Thanks. Interviews. There's so many movies, so many documentaries, even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe, you know, this is a gradual way of, of kind of educating the public to to what's going on. Visit Erie Radio at www.erieradio.com. That was the Sontaran Experiment there with a segment of Act 2, and you can find more information about the band Sontaran Experiment on the website sittingnow.co.uk. You're back now with uh, Sitting Now Episode 11. It is officially Episode 11, Ken. Yep, it is this time. <laughs> and we're with Bob Curran, our Northern Ireland author. He's an expert on vampires, and uh, welcome back, Bob. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Bob, um just flicking through your book and the contents, there's about, well, I'd say about 16, 17 different types of uh, vampire here listed. Roughly, and we haven't even touched on uh, a number of them because we tend to think of everything coming from Eastern Europe, but practically every culture in the world has vampires. Mm. I mean, and they're all very different to what you would expect. For instance, there's a Vietnamese vampire, which is little more than a floating head, mm. uh, and which drinks. Now, not all of them use their teeth in order to drink the blood, as you see in, in the films. This uh, Vietnamese vampire has two antennae, which come out of its nostrils, and uh, drink the blood through that. Mm. Um, uh, you have something like the Aswang in the Philippines. Now, the Aswang is not a humanoid at all. It is something like a great dragon with a long nose, and it lowers its tongue through the roofs of houses. The roofs are made of bamboo leaves. And um, it lowers its tongue, which is hollow, and drinks through that. Hmm. Not all vampires, of course, drink blood. No. Vampires, uh, in some uh, instances, drink both sweat and semen. And this um, uh, explains why certain young men waking up in the middle of the night sweating. It it explains a number of things, such Mm. as premature ejaculation and stuff like that. Mm. And also, isn't uh, blood and semen actually quite similar in in, in its makeup? It's... uh... So I am told. As I say, I'm not a medical expert, but, but I think... But uh, the Aswang uh, 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 drinks, that, uh, drinks that and uh, lead, uh, um, prolonged attention uh, from an Aswang can lead to impotency. Ah, right. Well, you are. Yeah. One of the ones I was particularly interested in, just from looking, like, just looking down the contents list here, is El Chupacabra. I mean, this is one that's not often necessarily related to vampires. It often pops up in UFO mythology as well. It does. Yeah. Well, the the original El Chupacabra, um, uh, the the actual name means goat sucker. Yeah. And it was thought that El Chupacabra, uh, firstly, it, uh, uh, drank the blood or um, uh, uh, the insides of uh, of goats, uh, and um, it appears uh, very early. It appears in the 1500s uh, when uh, Coronado. Um, led his men across uh, into southern Kansas. Um, and um, his uh, herds were attacked 
by small gray-skinned creatures. Hmm. Um, uh, whom he describes as uh, as little gray-skinned men hmm. uh, who attacked the cattle, which um, his um, expedition was bringing with it. So uh, algebra has a long history, and, and once again, it refers to the fact that in many cultures, vampires will not necessarily attack human beings. Uh, even in um, sort of East European um, mythology, vampires will only attack um, human beings as a last resort. Mm. Uh, they will mainly drink animal blood or something like that. And uh, in many instances, they will only attack uh, members of their own family for blood. Mm. That's interesting. Is it widely believed with vampires that... Uh, Blood is the sole source of uh, of uh, nutrition, or, or not at all. Uh, not at all. In many uh, in many cases, uh, 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 vampires will also eat ordinary food. Oh. Uh, in Ireland, for example, uh, it, it was believed that uh, vampires would come in, and if there was no food left about, they would either attack um, uh, the local livestock for instance sounds a bit like me actually <laughs> sorry i said it sounds a bit like me actually uh, well i couldn't pass comment on that <laughs> uh. Uh, or they would attack sleeping people within i mean there, there there's a great um old story from uh league in uh county cork uh in which an irish vampire makes a woman carrying it, it about at night and cuts the throats of sleeping men with uh, with a razor, hmm. which it then uh, mixes with oatmeal. And I often feel like doing that. A bit like a bit like black pudding. You've eaten black pudding. I'm yeah, sure. that's mm. only blood. Yeah, I don't, so I don't that, like that. That's myself. made from blood. Uh, and uh, uh, I mean, the horrors of the famine at, at one stage, uh, the Great Irish Potato Famine in the eighteen forties. Um, they had what were called relish cakes, uh, which were oatmeal. Um, cabbage tops and uh, blood all mixed together. Hmm. How close? How closely related do you feel that uh, cannibalism is to uh, to the act of vampires? Well, I suspect that cannibalism was uh, much more widely uh, there are instances of a, a much more widely instanced than we would assume today. We um, think uh, think uh, cannibalism is is, is uh, horrible and, and uh, eating, but uh, I want to assume that um, early men, whenever people became old and uh, infirm and like that, they sometimes finished up in the stockpot, mm-hmm. particularly uh, at times when hunting was bad or when uh, the travel was bad, whenever there was snow and, uh, and all on the ground. Yeah, it can be a last resort. It was probably a last resort. And if you had an old person who died within your community, uh, the, uh, the the flesh could sustain the the community for a while. It was, it was a bit like um, what they were saying about uh, that uh, football team who crashed in the Andes. Yeah, and who uh, who ate each other, and there are stories as well of uh, people who have been shipwrecked at sea, and have been drifting in boats and uh, had to eat each other. Hmm. 
there were a number of, uh, of stories which I've come across uh, with regard to that. So I suspect that uh, while we look at cannibalism as abhorrent and things like that, it, was, it may have been more common than we would actually think about. And that actually turns in with, with the notion of drinking blood. Mm. Now, for example, my brother once showed me a book. My brother um, uh, is a part-time minister. And the, uh, an old um, Christian book, which had um, uh, talked about an old um, cannibal chieftain who had been uh, converted to Christianity. And the title of the book was Men I Have Eaten. Huh. And uh, he said, uh, he gave only one piece of advice. He says, if you have to eat a man, he says, do not eat British or Dutch, <laughs> because they are heavy and stodgy. <laughs> if you want good meat, he said, eat Spanish or Italians. He says the oil uh, makes their meat tender. Mm, the oil I remember that. So do remember that. Yeah, I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tip for you. So what about I, know, I, I think in answer to your question, cannibalism was much more common uh, uh, than we think. That feeds into the notion of vampires and, uh, and um Things like that, and in, in, in times of um, of famine, or in times of, um, or, or if your place was relatively isolated and let's say cut off during uh, snowstorms or whatever. What about so, Romanians? Well, that is actually that is actually true because some of places in Romania were very inaccessible, so you might have you might have found cannibalism uh, here. There's Wouldn't also an old. Uh, getting back to your your question about blood. There was also an old um, belief in Romania, which you've probably come across, that uh, if an old woman washed in uh, the blood of a young virgin, uh, she could restore her good looks. And that was the basis for the, the, the famous vampire who did not drink blood, but who washed in blood. And that was Countess Elizabeth Barthory yeah, in yeah. Uh, the, the 1600s. The Countess, uh, what is it, who's been called the Countess Dracula. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a Hammer film with her as well. <laughs> the, the, you've been watching an awful lot of Hammer films. Yeah, I grew up on them. Ah, <laughs> uh, didn't we all? Yeah. Uh, no. But uh, she believed that if she washed herself in the blood of a young virgin and uh, the blood uh, of uh, a young servant virgin, uh, she took on a great number of servants, she would restore her uh, good looks and fresh skin. Yeah. So um, you can forget her, uh, probably because she was worth it. But um, they, uh, you get this uh, as a belief in Romania. Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the things I was looking, just looking through the, the, uh, the chapter list again, and I was interested in the devil of... I can't actually... Oh, how to stop. Yes. Well, these are away from uh, Iceland. Iceland was in Scandinavia considered to be a, a rather a mysterious country. Um, that and Finland. Um, the Finns were considered to be great magicians. Uh, but there were supposedly schools of black sorcery in Iceland. And um, th this ties in with an ancient belief among the Vikings uh, and the Draugr. Now, the Draugr was uh, a person who would not rest in his grave hmm. uh, for whatever reason. 
Um, and he appears actually in some old tales from uh, the east uh, of England. The east of England, of course, as you know, was occupied by the Vikings mm. and, uh, for a while. And uh, the Vikings, uh, with regard to some of their chieftains, besides burning them on their ships, sometimes built small stone houses in which they laid their dead to rest. Now, and they did this sometimes in England. Now, from time to time, the dead would get up and walk about. Uh, and they could be quite violent. Uh, they could, uh, if you met them on the road, they could attack you. Hmm. There was um, a, a, a great story told, uh, and I think it's by the monk of Byland, or and uh, it's, a, it's certainly an English story, hmm. about a, a guy called Harold Haltfoot. Um, who became a pest and a nuisance because he went about and uh, whenever people were uh, asleep at night, uh, he uh, he drank all their stuff and became very drunk and then attacked them. Hmm. But like uh, some of our towns on a Saturday night. Um, <laughs> uh, and he had a band also of people who would not lie in their graves wandering about with him. And uh, in the end, they had to drag, uh, take him from his uh, from his stone house. Um, and if you went, which if you went near or stayed t- uh, too near for too long, he would come out and, uh, and try to kill you. And cattle could not um, graze around that because they died. Hmm. Uh, so they dragged it away and threw it into a marsh, and uh, and that put an end to it. But the drugger uh wandered back from time to time um uh, and uh while uh, it didn't really drink blood um although would it would it, would it be more like a zombie it, it could be a bit like a, a, a zombie and um but more violent mm. uh because uh it, it would knock you about an awful lot until you bled and then sometimes, sometimes it would lap your blood like a dog. Um, but uh, some of them were incredibly pale. Um, uh, some of them were black. Their faces were black because they'd been quite a long time in the grave. Mm. But uh, in some cases, their uh, faces were pale. And this was down to a lack of blood, which they would um, probably try to replenish at some stage. So you can have a, a sort of crossover between zombies and vampires. All right. Yeah. Uh, for, for, whilst you were doing the research for your book, which, which uh, story struck you the most as like the uh, as your I guess your favourite story? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, that actually is like asking a father which of his children is uh, his, uh, 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 is his favourite. I mean, they're all incredibly interesting. Mm. But the one uh, uh, which I liked and which, which gave me a smile was actually the notion of the Sampiro. Yeah. The Sampiro is an Albanian vampire. Now, um, the Sampiro uh, is uh, always of Turkish origin in Albania, because the Albanians and the Turks didn't get on. (laughs) So uh, he could be a Turk, uh, he or she could be a Turk, or he or she could have married a Turk, or be the offspring of uh, a relationship between an Albanian and a Turk. (laughs) Now, they got out of the grave. Uh, They were very specific. Uh, They were wrapped in, in, in a sheet, 
but they wore high heels and they went about making kissing noises. Right. Uh, so if you were walking down the street in Albania and uh, a gentleman came after you in high heels making kissing noises, <laughs> you'd run. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know whether you'd run because you thought he was a vampire or not. <laughs> <laughs> you would just run. <laughs> oh, dear. That's, that is quite funny. <laughs> one but, but they were quite vicious once they caught up with you. Mm. Uh, and once again, that, that deals with some of the problems that we mentioned about earlier about Dracula, uh, and it deals with uh, what I might term a sort of xenophobia, mm. because in many cases, vamp- uh, in many cultures, vampires were foreigners. Yeah. And that is why you get um, um, Dracula as a sort of Eastern European. Whenever Eastern European, who are as, uh, is, uh, in some ways perceived today, uh, Eastern Europeans coming into London, places like London and into Dublin and taking over the jobs which were destined for um, the, the indigenous population mm. because it would work for much cheaper. Uh, and so uh, you're getting all this xenophobia which um, feeds into the notion of the vampire. Mm. Yeah. So would you say, uh, one thing I was going to ask you, actually, I've got one question after this as well. Um, That's okay, fire ahead. Um, I was listening to an interview with, uh, I think it was a German guy recently on Erie Radio, and he was talking about something called Shroud Eaters. Have you ever heard of this before? Shroud Eaters were um, a, a sort of, a, and you're right to mention German, uh, Shroud Eaters were um, uh, largely German, uh, and they appeared in... Literature or uh, so-called academic literature mm. in the, the uh, 18th century, uh, late 17th, early 18th century, yeah. and they be, uh, it, it was the name actually comes from. Uh, it was believed that a phenomenon occurred when the vampire uh, firstly became conscious in the grave. Uh, it was, as uh, George used to say, after they had been lying in the clay, they were cold and hungry. And the first thing they ate were the, the shrouds which wrapped them. Mm. And they became known as shroud eaters. In many cases, the word shroud eater became interchanged in the literature with a vampire and ah, was used right. to denote the walking dead or those who had risen or those who returned from the grave with a sort of malignant intent. Hmm. So um, the, um, that is where that comes from. It, it uh, turned up in both German and Austrian literature hmm. uh, and became uh, adopted by much of the European literature. Uh, there was a great interest in um, vampires um, around the beginnings of the 1700s, the late 1600s, uh, early 1700s. And many men, this was the time when superstition was beginning to die down and reason, the age of reason, was beginning to take over. Hmm. And many men turned their attention to, uh, to the legends which were coming out of places like Austria and Turkish Serbia, and places like that, and began to try and discover if there was a scientific explanation for them, mm. and began to look at them, and, and in fact, uh, even the Pope 
took a great interest in them. Yeah. Uh, because uh, and this once again centers um, a lot of the focus on Eastern Europe because uh, the Pope became intrigued by stories coming out of Moldavia and Serbia and places like that. Mm. And uh, he set up, uh, well, he set up two commissions. Uh, Pope Benedict, uh, I think it was the 14th, um, who set up one under uh, a very learned scholar called Giovanni Davanzati, um, who wrote, uh, uh, Davanzati was an Italian, and he a sort of learned treatise on him. But the big one was uh, the, the Pope then sent a French a guy called uh, Augustin Calmet, uh, Antoine Augustin Calmet, uh, who wrote uh, what uh, uh, became sort of the Bible of vampire hunters, which was um, the Phantom World, which looked at uh, uh, Moldavia, which looked at uh, Serbia. Uh, and that actually centered uh, European thinking on Eastern Europe. Because those were where uh, Calmet found his. Um, there had been two famous cases. There had been a, gen- uh, a gentleman called Arnold Pohl who had fallen from the back of a cart and had been impaled on a pitchfork yeah. uh, and had died and uh, seemed to return from the, the grave. The other one was a gentleman called Peter Pologovitz. Uh, who, uh, around about the same time, also returned from the grave. Now, these, uh, simply because both of these were investigated by the military, they became very, uh, based in Belgrade, they became very well known in Europe, and the Pope took an interest, and he sent Calmet uh, into Eastern Europe to try and see um, uh, evidence for this. Hmm. Calmet simply returned and wrote this, Thing. Now, Talmud was an incredibly learned man, but uh, he simply returned and wrote this uh, uncritically. He re- simply recorded old stories, and that's why you have the, the stories of uh, Arnold Pohl and Peter Bologovitz, uh, and the shoemaker of Silesia who had committed suicide. Now, many of these contained moral warnings that you weren't to commit suicide or you would come back and torment your family and, and stuff like that. So there was a morality, uh, actually, in that. But uh, that's, uh, uh, that generated a whole raft of um, uh, literature in which learned writers tried to make their names, people like John Christoph Harburg, uh, and uh, trying to make their names um, as great thinkers of the time and turning their great uh, intellectual attention to the, pro- the problem of vampires. Mm. And so, uh, in Germany, I mean, Harburg came from Germany, uh, and he used the word shroud eaters. So, so, so that sounds a bit convoluted uh, to answer your question. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's, uh, um, well, I mean, we'll, we'll come to the close of the interview now, but um, you've obviously done a lot of research on, on vampires and the different types of vampires. What's, just to close up, what's your, your own uh, view or opinion or belief, I guess, on w- whether these vampires, uh, creatures actually exist vampires will exist if you want them to exist mm. i mean there ha- um there have been um uh, vampires now 
I will answer your question with another. It depends what you mean by vampires. Well, would you say that they are paranormal entities that exist called vampires? I guess that's one way of phrasing it. Uh, that's a difficult one. I mean, I, I never rule anything out. I mean, there have been actual living vampires. I mean, the most famous was in, uh, in, in England in the 1930s in London. Mm. And that was John George Haig who drank uh, his victim's blood. He, he drank them in, in a glass. Mm. And there have been uh, uh, other cases in more modern times um, in, in America and, and places like that. Uh, but uh, if you're asking me uh, if it is a supernatural entity, well, uh, I'm not 100% sure. There's been an awful lot written about it. Mm. Uh, and what we need to sit down uh, uh, to think about is, is what we mean by uh, supernatural. Mm. Um, what, uh, what, what sort of criteria are we using? Sorry, I'm coming to this from a very scientific viewpoint. No, but, that's good. That's what uh, we like. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if you know me, you'll know that uh, I try to, to find, uh, you know, I'll not accept anything uncritically. Uh, I, I want to to find is there any basis, which is really what the book is. The, ba the basis which I have found in the book is that there's a cultural, or certainly a cultural basis for a belief, and that it answers an awful lot of questions. Mm. You know, uh, what happened? Can the dead come back? What happens after death? Um, uh, can we see our loved ones again? Or something like that. Mm. Or are we under attack from demons or, or, or whatever? Yeah. Um, the um, and if you saw the very recent film um, with Will Smith, the Omega Man, or, or sorry, I Am Legend, which is yeah, based yeah. on the Omega Man, uh, you'll see the vampires. Uh, uh, so we need to sit down and think actually what we mean by the word vampire. I mean there are diseases such as periphery, um, which affect uh, and give you as uh, an iron deficiency, give you a hunger for blood. So we begin, we really need to sit down and think what we If it's a supernatural uh, entity, then we have to ask ourselves, what sort of supernatural purpose does a belief in this serve? Because we have to uh, ask ourselves, and the church said that um, people could return from the dead, and if you did not say masses for them, uh, they could attack you. Now, that kept uh, the people in the front of your mind so that you paid the priest in order to, uh, uh, to say masses. Hmm. So that generated more revenue for the church. Yeah. Uh, so you have to sit down and ask yourself what you mean by vampires. Yeah. You have to sit down and I mean, uh, what you mean by a supernatural entity. Yeah. And, uh, and then we'll maybe come to a decision. I'm still looking. Yeah. And I I just want to let everyone know the name of the book so they can get hold of it themselves. It's Go Vamp ahead. Vampires, a field guide to the creatures that stalk the night. It's by you, and it's illustrated really well. I really like the pictures in there. Actually, by Ian Daniels. Yeah. yeah, by Ian Daniels. And you can get a man from Maidstone in Kent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> excellent. That's cool. So, and you can get it on Amazon, can't you? And from newpagebook.com. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate your time, and I think we're not at all, and a pleasure to talk. Okay, brilliant. And we're, I think we're going to speak with you again in a few weeks about a completely different subject. We will yeah. talk again in a few weeks because we have a new book uh, coming out at some stage, which might be an, uh, not unrelated, which is called Zombies. Oh, well, that's good. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Just before you go, uh, we were looking, uh, doing research about you before the uh, 
the podcast. We wonder you 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 didn't have a website. No, uh, I'm in the process of having one constructed. I'll, uh, right. I have been here, there, and everywhere, and haven't got around to it. But can I give you an email address? Yes, sure, go for it. Yep. Uh, an email address, uh, if you if anybody wants to get in contact with me and uh, tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> that they are that they're a vampire and they're coming for me, um, is drbob. C-U-R-R-A-N, that's all one word, it's all lowercase, at yahoo.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show again, and uh, we'll speak to you in a few weeks as well. We'll speak, uh, we'll speak again in a few weeks. Thank you both Thank very you much. much. Thank you very much, all Dr. Bob Thanks a lot. All right, that was Dr. Bob Curran. Uh, how do you feel the interview went, Jacob? He was a good interviewee. Uh, he's a nice personality. He's uh, humorous. He's uh, our sort of guest, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, our kind of guy. Yeah, we prefer that that kind of guest personally. And he wasn't uh, afraid to kind of tell it like it was, if that may- like it is rather. Yeah. <laughs> that was what and I uh, many people wouldn't like the way. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't. That sounds a bit harsh, but I well put it this way: I quite like the way in which. He answered his. Uh, he answered the questions with uh, stories, and uh, he sort of went off on one. I quite like that because he's uh, quite revealing, isn't he? He's uh, he's got a lot to tell in his stories and uh, uh, these tales, and he, he's very knowledgeable about uh, vampires and, and all of that. Yeah, and he was also a very good storyteller, I thought, which is yeah. uh, which, which is a great way of conveying information. Yeah, yeah well, it's he's he's he's, uh, he's it's where he's from, isn't it? Yeah, comes comes natural to them. <laughs> uh, not stereotyping there, are we, Jacob? Or? No. <laughs> Well, he did have pims. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, oh, so not, none of our listeners will know that, though, will they? Oh no, no, no. In fact, I think I think you should cut that in at the beginning. <laughs> I'd have to get permission, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally I find vampires really interesting. I've always, you know, in, enjoyed vampire films and stuff, and always kind of wondered if any research had been done into, you know, real life real set research had been done into. Uh, into the and then he just then he discovered Dr. Bob Curran. I did indeed. Yes, and uh, Bob's actually going to come back and talk to us about his. Uh, well, I get the feeling we're going to have him back a few times actually because he's written yeah. so many books and it's really you know real kind of in our area of. Uh, I, I actually meant to ask him before he went. I didn't ask him. Uh, yeah, he's got books published. I was wondering if there were any in the pipeline because we do like to promote our guests uh, on City Now. We we're very grateful for them to coming on. Uh, giving up their time doing the podcast. Yeah. Do you know if he's got any in the pipeline? I'm just looking on the website now. Um, the best place to look for upcoming stuff, it seems, for uh, Bob is uh, newpagebooks.com, who are the people that... Uh, our listeners can uh, contact him directly. He did seem quite uh, yeah. willing for, for them to email him. That was uh, Dr. Bob Curran, D-R-B-O-B-C-U-R-R-A-N at yahoo.co.uk. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he, he's very nice and very... Uh, forthcoming on Helpful. emails so yeah, yeah he's a really good guy anyway I guess uh, we should wrap the show up um, yeah so if you want to get in contact with either me Jacob or anyone else uh, uh, you can either get to us through the forum at sittingnow.co.uk I think it's forward slash forum I'm not sure yeah forum is that yeah, a forum but you can try if that doesn't work try forums <laughs> and you'll get through mm. to our forum or you can email me at ken at sittingnow.co.uk you can email Jacob at jw at sittingnow.co.uk but you can also if you accidentally write com that will also go through to us and the same yeah. way you can get 
to the website dot uh, com as well. We've we've got all bases covered. Thanks to Jacob. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So join up at the forum. We're really you know we're starting to get people signing up now. It's great. Um, you know, keep downloading the episodes. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next week with episode twelve. Yeah, and it will be the right order.